Well, it's wonderful to be with you. The last two times I was here, the first time uh, was, was back in March, uh, and it was the very first weekend that all of this happened, the pandemic struck, and it was literally me, a camera, and David Kelso, the pastoral intern in the room. There were three of us, and then about two months ago, I was back here preaching, and there were a few more people, some volunteers, some people helping out with the cameras, and now I'm back again, and there's 50 people in the room. I'm hoping that the next time I come back, there's 200. I feel like that's just the way we're going, which, which Lord willing, it is the way we're going. We can continue to pray for that. But why don't we... Why don't we turn our attention to the Word of God? Let's dig right in. Luke chapter 10 is where we find ourselves this morning. We're, we're going to close the chapter with its final five verses. A wonderfully short story, um, but, but in what it lacks in length, it makes up for in poignancy. There is a significant message for us to learn in Luke chapter 10, 38-42. So if you found it in your Bibles, why don't we read it together, uh, and then I'll pray for us, and then we'll, we'll see, as we can, uh, see what, what we can learn from it. Okay? So Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. This is, this is how it goes. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named, a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for your word. We are so thankful for your Holy Spirit, how you come to us and you work the truth of your word into our hearts. And we pray that that would be true this morning. That as we gather, whether it's online watching this service or here in person, God, would you, would you meet us? Would you sanctify us? Would you build us up? Would you comfort and strengthen us? I pray, God, that you would do what I am horribly incapable of doing. Would you make the, the point of this passage clear? Uh, would you work its truth um, in us? And so, God, I thank you for the privilege it is to preach from your word. Would you fill me with with wisdom and passion and understanding. Um, And Lord, would you guide us all to love and revere Christ all the more. So we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen. Um, You may have a friend. I'm sure you do because I have many of these friends. um, Who will just challenge every assumption you ever make. Do Do you have a friend like that? Uh, you, let's take, for instance, we live in a pandemic world and the government will recommend wearing a mask and you say, hey, we should wear our masks. And they say, how do you know they even work? Right? They'll just challenge that assumption. And if you were on the other way, you were like, ah, oh, we shouldn't wear a mask. And like, how do you know masks don't work? Right? They'll just challenge every assumption you'll ever make. I'm sure you've had that friend. They just want to make a conversation out of everything. They want to make you press past whatever you just assumed because you just assumed it and you shouldn't have. You have a friend like that? Well, in, in a kinder way, in a wonderful way, the Word of God is a friend like that. There are all sorts of assumptions that we have, that we make, that are just normal. It's natural. We make assumptions as what it is to be human. We make assumptions, and the Word of God will show up and, and press against that and say, are you sure? Is that actually what's true? Are you, are you right? Jesus actually does that in this passage. 
but, but, but this, this is a wonderful thing, wonderful thing about the word um, because it's what we need. It's what we need. What we learn in the text of scripture is that our sin has affected us so deeply, so profoundly, that it, it, we know this naturally. It affects what we want to do. And so we do things that are sinful, that are wrong. That's natural. We get a sense of that. But the word of God speaks of our sin and the impact of it in a much deeper way. So much so that Paul in Colossians will tell us that we need to put off the old self and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And what Paul is saying is that our sin has run so deeply into our hearts and our minds that it actually affects the way we think. It's actually going to affect our understanding. And so for the word of God to, to come up to us sometimes and to press against an assumption is radically necessary because you and I will assume things that are flat out wrong. We will. This is natural. This is sin. Uh, let me give you an example. And here's an easy example. We, by nature of being human, we will be born into this thought. And there are religions upon religions across the world that express this thought that if I live a good enough life, if I simply work hard to be a good person, I'm not going to lie, I'm not going to cheat, I'm not going to do all these things. If I just live hard enough after the right thing, well then, why would God ever condemn me? I mean, certainly God would accept me. Certainly he would have favor on me if I have just tried every bit of effort to, to be good. Then on that last day, what should I expect? Well, you tried so hard, why don't you come on into heaven? Right, that's, that's a natural way of thinking. That is a natural assumption. And again, this is why religions across the world assume that. What does the word of God do to that assumption? Are you sure? Is that, is that actually the case? W will you be justified by your good works on the last day? Well, the prophet Isaiah will tell us quite powerfully that even our righteous deeds are filthy rags. Even the best things that you can do, the kindest things that you can do, the most loving thing you can imagine, even it is tainted by your sin. Even it. The, the word of God presses so wonderfully against our assumptions. To our, to our salvation, it presses against our assumptions. And this is what Jesus does here. He, he is going to press against our assumption in this wonderfully short little story. And it is going to be so, I, I hope, I pray, so helpful for us in our pursuit of Christ to understand what the point that Jesus is going to make here. So what do we find in this story? We find two sisters, Martha and Mary. Probably if they had another, another girl, they'd, they'd name her another name with an M. It's just what families do nowadays, right? Martha and Mary. They, we, we know from the rest of scripture that Martha and Mary have uh, a brother named Lazarus, right? This is going to be John 11. Lazarus dies and Jesus shows up. They're weeping, they're wailing, and Jesus raises him from the dead. He calls him out of the tomb. This is Lazarus. But for some reason, Lazarus doesn't show up in this story. It's Martha and Mary, which in itself is kind of a significant fact because we're, we're so divorced from the time of when this was written that the fact that Jesus is going to make a spiritual point about a healthy disciple he's going to make that point about Mary. The fact he's going to make a spiritual point using a woman is profound. Uh, we, we don't get that now today because, because our, we have grown to understand the equal value of men and women. But in that day, in that day, there was, there was significant shift in how the role of a man was understood next to the role of a woman. A woman would never sit at the feet of Jesus. A rabbi just wouldn't let that happen. But Jesus does. It's a significant thing here. I mean, I, I'm not going to dwell on that long, but, but I don't want us to miss the, the wonderful significance of that. Jesus is going to make a wonderful point about a healthy disciple, and he's going to point to a woman who is the healthy disciple. 
So we have Martha and Mary. And the story is, it's a wonderful little story when you think about it. Jesus is coming over. God incarnate, right? The the, the profound mystery of the incarnation, this is God, robed in humanity, is showing up at their house. He's coming over for lunch. He's coming over. And so what do Martha and Mary do? Well, we get a sense from the text that Martha's the older sister, right? Because we're told Jesus, as, as they went on their way, Jesus enters a village and a woman named Martha welcomed, her, welcomed him into her house. So this is Martha's house. Maybe Martha is a widow. Maybe, uh, maybe her parents just passed away and she's the oldest sister. Some, something to that like. But Martha is probably the older sister here. So she's taking the responsibility of what's coming. Jesus is coming over. What does Martha do? Well, what would, what would anybody do, right? Jesus is coming over your house. Say, let's put, put anybody else in that picture. Somebody significant in the world. The queen is coming over. Prime Minister Trudeau is coming over. Whoever's coming over to your house, what do you do? The cleaning blitz, right? I have, you know, I would say fond. They're not fond memories. Of my mom in the wonderful panic the hour, two hours before somebody was coming over to our house for supper. And what are we doing for those two hours straight? We are cleaning every nook and cranny of the house that they will never see. And then, the, you know, a minute before they show up, they wipe, we wipe the sweat off of our brows and we act as if, you know, this is just normal. This is how we live, right? We actually don't even live in this house. It's just how, you know, it's how it works. It's a panic, right? Because you, you want to impress. You, you want to serve. You want, you want it to be a nice home for someone to come into. You don't want them to come into and think, oh, boy. What did I just walk into, right? So likely, likely, this is what, this is what Martha and Mary think. They, they hear that Jesus is coming over and they clean. Probably, I mean, the text doesn't give us this. Probably Mary helps a little bit before Jesus has arrived. And then Jesus arrives. He walks into the door. He sits into the living room and he begins to teach. And what does Martha do? She's cooking the meal. She's in the kitchen. She's cooking. She's probably thinking about all sorts of things because when Jesus would show up at a home with his disciples, they would usually stay the night. And so she's probably thinking, I've got to get the beds ready up in the room. I've got to get, the, I got to get you know, I'm thinking about supper tonight. I'm thinking about breakfast tomorrow, right? She's got the chicken marinating, all these different things she's got going on her plate. She's trying to figure out how to make it all happen. And, and where's Mary? She's not helping. Mary's not helping. Martha is in the kitchen alone. And she begins to think to herself, how utterly selfish of Mary. Where is Mary? I'm, I'm trying to serve the Lord, and, and we know from the text, if you, look, if you look with me at verse 40, Martha, Martha's distracted, much serving. She, she went up to, to Jesus and said, Lord, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? She says, Lord. What does that say about Martha? It says that she knows, she believes Jesus is who he says he is. He's the Lord. So she's trying to serve him. She is trying to serve the Savior, the Christ. She thinks this is a big deal to serve Christ. And Mary Mary won't even help. This is her home too, right? I don't know if, you, I don't know if you've experienced this, but maybe in your marriage, uh, you, you will have somebody come over for supper and you know, maybe, maybe you're in the kitchen cooking and all of a sudden, where's your spouse? Oh, they're sitting down. Well, we weren't quite ready yet, but I guess that's okay, right? They, they, they step away. They, they begin to engage in the conversation. They get busy with other things and you're thinking, I'm alone. I don't know if that happens in our home. You can ask Shalane. I hope it doesn't. Um, Mar- Martha, Martha is frustrated with her sister because she is trying to serve the Lord. She's trying to serve Christ. 
Of the two people in this story, let's back it up for a moment. And, and if we were to pull it out of the context of Jesus being the savior, it's just, he's just an important person. Who is the more commendable of these two? Naturally, you're, what is our natural assumption? Who's doing the right thing here? Martha. I think that would be our natural assumption. Martha. Right? I mean, we know when we look at this text, we get a sense Jesus is going to make a point that Mary's choosing the right thing. But if we were to back up and just let our natural assumptions wash over the text, we would say, Martha, Martha's working so hard, so much so that Jesus is going to say to her that she's anxious and troubled. Isn't that even more to her commendation? She's trying to serve him so well that she's anxious about it. She's troubled by it. Isn't that commendable? She wants to serve him so bad. Should we not want that? Should we not want to serve Christ so badly that it busies us up and we're anxious about it? I'm so, I'm anxious to serve Jesus. I'm, I'm troubled that I don't serve him enough that there's all this to happen and I want to honor him. Shouldn't, shouldn't that be you and me? Isn't that commendable? Well, for some reason, Martha here is actually a lesson of what not to do. How strange is that? Martha's the lesson of what not to do. So let, let's, let's look at Martha. I, I want to learn the lesson of Martha. And the lesson I think we need to learn from her is this. The danger of distractions. The danger of distractions in our walk with Christ. The problem here is not Martha's serving. If, if the problem was Martha's serving, Jesus would be much more clear about it. He never makes a comment about the fact that she, it, it's wrong for her to be serving him. She, he doesn't, she doesn't come over and Jesus says, Martha, what are you doing? Stop doing everything. You're, you're not doing the right thing. Stop serving. Luke, as he's recording this story, he doesn't make any comment to say that her serving is bad or it's wrong. But the comment he does make is this in verse 40. Martha was distracted with much serving. The, the problem here is not that Martha served Christ. Because we can, we can look at the rest of the New Testament and we can get a clear sense that we are called to serve. We are called to be hospitable. That's what's going on here. Martha's being hospitable. We could look at Romans 12, verse 13. This is the command of scripture. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Martha's doing that. She's obeying that command. Hebrews 13, verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels. Well, again, don't, don't neglect being hospitable. It, it is so clear when you wander into the rest of the New Testament that to serve, to be hospitable, is a commanded, commendable thing. It's good. Martha, in one sense, is doing a very good thing. So what's the problem? She is distracted with much serving. She's distracted with much serving. So much so that Jesus will say to her, Martha, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and you're troubled about many things, but only one thing is necessary. One thing. And we're, we're going to get to that point when we look at Mary in particular. But, but the point of Martha is that she's missing that one thing. She's missing it. And why? Because she's distracted. But what's she distracted by? She's distracted by something good. By something meaningful, something important, something she is called to do, something that, that is commendable, Right? It's good. We're called to serve. But her serving, this good thing is distracting her. How many other good things can distract us from the most important thing? When I first began ministry uh, and I was in Saskatchewan, um, I, I became a bit of a yes man 
in ministry. A yes man is somebody who just says yes to everything. You, you, they will ask you, hey, can you go do this? Hey, can you make this happen? Can you lead a small group? And I, yes, yes, yes. I'll be there. I'll do that. I would love that. Because I thought, I thought, that I just want to be doing as much as I can for Christ. I want to serve him. I want to do all these, these are all meaningful ministry opportunities. I want to take advantage of them. And all of a sudden I'm up at six and I'm bed, I'm in bed at 10 and all those hours in between are filled with ministry. And I thought to myself, is this not commendable? I didn't think those words literally, you know, people don't think that. It, but I, but I, in my heart, I thought I was doing the right thing. I'm doing the right thing. I'm busy in the service of the Lord. Is that not what I am called to do? Well, in retrospect, in retrospect, I know that actually there were, there were many times when my busyness in the ministry, in, in serving, was distracting me from the person of Christ. I can get so wrapped up in serving the kingdom that we forget the king, right? And I found that in myself. It was a good thing, ministry. It was a good opportunity, Bible studies, teaching, leading. It was all great. But I got distracted often from the most important thing. How, how many good things, good thing, good Christian things are there that can distract us? Um, pastoral ministry is, is, I think, a good example. It, it, I think it, this is probably one of the most significant temptations of anybody in ministry is to get so caught up in the work of the Lord that you forget the Lord himself. But, but let me give you a, a practical example for all of us. Um, your family your family is a good gift, wonderful gift from the Lord. Um, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That is, a, that is a powerful command. That is a powerful charge. Love her as Christ loved the church. Husband, or, or fathers, raise up your children in the instruction of the Lord. There are all sorts of commands that, that have to do with our families and the meaningful purpose of your family, the good of, of treating your family well and honoring them. Children, honor your father and mother. Is it possible that family, as good as family is, as important as it is that you care for your family as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, is it possible that your family can distract you from the most important thing? Is that possible? I think it is. If serving, if cooking a meal can distract us, how much more something that in our culture today, we, we elevate even higher than serving. Family is everything, right? Family is, is today, you, you stick by your family. There, there is a sense that that, you know, people will say family is the most important thing. You, you read, you know, you, you hear on the news or uh, a famous athlete, and what will they say? My family is the most important thing to me. That's, that's a very common phrase. My family is the most important thing to me. Is it not possible that as Christians, knowing even how much more important family is because of what Christ calls it to be, is it not possible that that could distract us from what is more important? I think it's possible. There are good things in the Christian life that can distract us, good things. But I, I don't want to pass by here and miss the bad things. Jesus doesn't comment on this because Martha's doing a good thing here. Uh, but I want to... I make a point to mention it because there are also bad things or, or neutral things, let's say, that distract us from the most important thing. Um, and we don't, we don't uh, reckon with it because we just know that they're not important, but we just don't want to talk to ourselves about it, right? Let me, let me give you an example. I'm going to touch on some sacred ground here. The blessed hockey game. I love hockey. I love hockey. Canucks, go Canucks. Woo. Um, 
it would be very difficult for me to win an internal argument if I felt the call or the need to spend some time in prayer and the hockey game's about to come on. If I gave myself the, the, the opportunity to have a conversation within myself, what's more beneficial, to spend some time with the Lord in prayer or to watch the hockey game? If I gave myself that time, I would pick prayer. I have to, I must, right? There's, there's no argument. The hockey game can't win that. It can't, it shouldn't. But here's what happens. I just don't give myself the light of day. I don't give the conversation a moment, right? I'm just gonna, and I'm watching the game. I don't, I don't wanna think about it, because, but I just wanna let it distract me. Now, why is that? I'd say it's sin, it's sin. That's all it is, I hate it, it's sin. But there are neutral things that aren't bad. The hockey game is not bad. I'm not saying don't watch the hockey game. But I am saying that there are times when there are neutral things in our lives. There are things that are not bad, they are not good, they just take time and those things can also distract us from the most important thing. So I, I, th- I think it's worthwhile looking at Martha here and, and not, not saying, oh, she was just too busy. It, the problem isn't that she was too busy. You, you can be a busy Christian to the glory of God. That is a wonderful thing. The problem is that she missed the most important thing. And I keep saying that. What's the most important thing? Well, that's the lesson we learned from Mary. The lesson is this, the priority of Christ. The priority of Christ. So what does Mary do? Again, same story. Jesus is coming over, right? Jesus is coming over. Martha thinks, I need, to, I need to get the house ready. I need to get the food ready. All these things. Mary thinks, I can't wait to hear what he will say. I can't wait to hear the words that will come out of his mouth. And so where do we find Mary? Where do we find her? She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. To Martha's chagrin, Mary is sitting and listening to the words of Jesus. She's at his feet. Is this commendable? Well, yes. I mean, we put a Christian lens on. We're reading the scriptures. We know Jesus is going to make a point that Mary's doing the right thing. Yes, it's commendable. Naturally, when we let our assumptions wash over the text, this, she's, she's missing an opportunity to do something. She could be doing something practical for the good of Christ, and yet she's there just listening. She's there just listening. Well, it is commendable. In fact, it's the thing that Christ commends above even the good of serving. The point point here in, in Mary is not to say that you and I need to stop doing everything that we're doing and just read our Bibles and pray. This is not a call to be a monk. That's not what we read. There have been scholars and theologians down centuries in the past who have looked at this passage and said, what, is called, what you are called to here is a contemplative life. Stop being busy. Go live on your own in some farm out somewhere and just pray. Just pray and read the scriptures. That's not what it is calling us to. It's not, it's not calling us to stop being busy for certain things, busy at work, busy in prayer, all these things. How can I say that? Well, because the rest of the scripture will tell us to be those things, right? First Timothy 5 gives a strong charge. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his own household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Paul says to Timothy, you have to work to provide for your family. If you don't, it's worse than being an unbeliever. How do I square that? with Mary sitting at Jesus' feet and doing nothing else. Well, because the point of this passage is not to say stop working. It's not to say stop being busy. It's to say there's something that is important in the midst of that. Something more important in the midst of that. 
First Peter chapter 4, verse 10, speaking of spiritual gifts to which the, the Spirit has given all of the, of the members of the church. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's grace. Use it. You, you've been given a gift. Use it. Imagine if you were given the good gift of leadership, spiritual gift of leadership. We read about that in Romans. And then you decide, I, what I need is I need to go and I need to go live off on my own and I need to be a monk. And I'm just going to pray and I am going to read the scriptures. What have you done? You have stolen the good gift that God has indwelt in you by his spirit. He's worked in you. You've stolen that gift from the church. Serve one another. And what, what's Martha doing? She's serving. It could very well be that her spiritual gift, it's not a gift that comes up, is hospitality. It could very well be. The problem is that she has missed the most important thing. The most important thing is Christ. The most important thing is Jesus Christ. As I have read through the commentaries and um, all the different uh, material I was reading to study for this, almost all of them landed on a conclusion that we need to prioritize hearing the words of Christ. Hearing the words of Christ, right? What's she doing? She's sitting listening to his teaching. She's hanging on every word that comes from the mouth of Jesus because who else, to whom else would I go for the words of eternal life? He has them. Right? She's hanging on every word, but, but I, I want to make a point, a special point here, because I think when we speak about that, when, in, in certain circles in the church, we will, we will speak about the importance of the word. Um, but sometimes we have a temptation to divorce the word from the word giver. Um, I, it's a small note in this text, but I think, I think it might be important. What, what, what do we read about Mary? That she sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. There's, there's two things happen, two verbs. She sat at the Lord's feet. Literally what that would mean is that she got as close to him as she could. She's sitting at the ground. He's maybe sitting in a chair or something. And she's as close to him as she can possibly get. This is Jesus. He's right there. And she's listening to his teaching. She's hanging on to every word that comes out of his mouth. She wants to get close to the person of Jesus as well as hear the words of Jesus. I think we can be tempted to just want to hear the words of Jesus and divorce them from the person of Jesus. The call here, the wonderful call, the commendation of Mary is that she is close to the person and the word. And that, that's what we want. That's what we ought to long for. That, that is the call, the priority of Christ. Let me, let me add those words. And the priority of the person and word of Christ. That's what we're learning here. That's what we see. That above everything else, above the good of serving, above the good of your family, above the good things that, are, that we are called to as Christian people, there is something more important. There's something more central to your life. And it is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ. And what's the, what's the wonderful news about him? Having died three days later, he rose from the grave and lives to this very day. Absolutely alive. To hear our prayers, to, to intercede with the Father for us on our behalf out of love for the people that he died for. Christ is alive. Christ is alive. To know you, to hear you, to understand you, that you might come to him and know him. And this is the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. That you were once apart from God, apart from Jesus Christ, without any hope in the world, and yet God drew, drew us near and reconciled our relationship with him. Th this is the good news, that you once did not know God and now you can and do. Having a reconciled relationship with God. And this is what Mary is showing. She sees the Savior, Jesus Christ. She wants to get as close to him as she can and to hear every word that will come out of his mouth because she treasures him. 
She treasures the words that come out of his mouth. What a, what a poignant and necessary charge for us today. What is the most natural thing to do? What are we tempted to do? We are tempted in, in all seasons of our lives, we are tempted to begin to think of our Christian faith as simply the things we do. I don't know if you feel that temptation. I feel that temptation and I hate it. I'm tempted to think of my Christian life as simply things that I do. I go to church, I pray, I read my Bible. I talk about the scriptures. I wrestle with theological things. I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor. It's my job. I get to do these things. It's wonderful. It's a gift. But I tend to just begin to think of my Christian life, my faith, as these doings. It's things I do. When the call, the wonderful call, is, is an invitation to come and know, to come and know the person of Jesus. This is, um, Jeremiah 9 has been a passage that has just been heavy on my, wonderfully heavy on my heart where Jeremiah says, let, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the, the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. We can. How, how marvel, the first part, of that, we can understand him. How marvelous is the thought that we can understand him and that that might be our boast and know him. That might be our boast. It's the wonderful invitation of this passage. So the good portion, the good portion that Jesus mentions, right? Martha comes to, Martha comes to him and says, Lord, you, don't you care that Mary's not helping me? Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. The good portion is Christ. It's Christ himself. He is the good portion. And it will not be taken away from her. Those, those, those little words mean so much. John 6, 37. Jesus himself says, whoever comes to me, I will never, never cast out. You have no worries that Christ will cast you out for a sin, for a wayward thought. No worries. Never. Mary, Mary sits at the feet of Jesus, feasts on his word, and loves his person, treasures him. And he says it will never be taken from her. Never. There is infinite value in our treasuring the person of Jesus Christ who is alive today to know, to love, to serve and treasuring his word. There's infinite value. It will never be taken from you. So let me, let me make two points of application out of all that. We, we learned the lesson of Martha. Distractions are dangerous and good things can be distracting. We learn the lesson of Mary. The most important thing is Christ. He is the priority of our lives. That is the most important thing. If everything else kind of falls to the wayside, but you hold on to Jesus Christ, that will all be worth it. Let me make two points of application. First of all, we need to establish a Christ-centered conviction. And I say that as an application out of this text. What, really what that is, is an application of what it is to be a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? You have established a conviction that Christ is at the center of it all. It is all about him. It is all to his glory. It is all to his fame, all to his praise. Everything I do, I want to do to his, his majesty, his recognition across the globe. And everything I do, I want to do because I want to draw nearer to him. He is the center of it all. And this is something we need to resolve ourselves to, to cling on to. That when I, when I go to work, I go to work because Christ is at the center of it all. 
When I pray, I pray because Christ is at the center of all, because he is the one to be magnified in my salvation. It is to his glory, not mine. And, and everything I do, I want to do out of, an, out of a, an understanding that Christ is the greatest treasure I could ever find. The most wonderful treasure. He is, he, is, he is the fullness of purpose and the fullness of joy in the world. You'll never be more satisfied with your life if you give it over to Jesus and you'll never be more joyful for the same reason. It's, it's all found in him because he's God. We, we need to be convinced that even, even above good things, Christ is more important. Good things, good things like serving, good things like reading your Bible, good things like coming to church on a Sunday. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is way more important. And it certainly those are good things and they will help your relationship with Christ. But they can sometimes also distract. Secondly, we need to build, build your life into your faith. Uh, what do I mean by that? That sounds kind of confusing. I have, a, I have a coach who will say to me, he's talking about work, um, and he will say, um, what, is, what it's the most natural temptation to us is when we look at our lives, we, we build our life into our work. We, we grow up and we think, I'm going to be, when I was younger, I wanted to be a band teacher. So say, I want to be a band teacher. I'm going to learn musical theory. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to do all those things. My life is dedicated to that end. And somehow I'm here, I'm a pastor. Dedicated to that goal of being a band teacher. That's where I want to get. And so when I get there, finally, what I have to do is now I've dedicated my whole life to being this, that everything else wraps around it. The time I spend with my family is dependent upon the time that I spend at work because this was the first thing. This was the goal, and I build my life into that work. Or my, my coach will say, you actually need to go the other way. You need to start with your life and ask, who has God made you to be? How has he uniquely formed you to glorify and praise him and declare his image to the, to the world? How has he uniquely made you? And then ask, how, what kind of work fits into that kind of life? It could be all number of things. It could be any number of things. But we need to start, we need to start with our life and then build our work into it. But, but I'm gonna, I want to reach that one step further. And I think this is what the point of this passage is to say, that we need to build our life into our faith, not the other way around. Because this is what so naturally happens. You felt this, I felt, I'm sure. What do we do? If, let's, let's back up to when we were not a Christian. We think of our lives, of all these things we need to do. You've got, maybe you've got your family. Maybe you've got your work. These are all these things I just, I have to do. This is part of my life. They're responsibilities. They're tasks. You become a Christian. And what do you do? You just kind of tag onto that task list. You add a few things, right? I'm going to go to church. Now I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to do these things. Okay, my task list has simply gotten bigger for being a Christian. And sometimes it feels even more burdensome. But then the longer time you, you spend in the Christian faith, and Lord willing, maybe at the start, you, you begin to understand that actually what I'm called to is a relationship with God. It's not just the doings. It's actually, it's enjoying the gift of Christ himself. It's enjoying that. But then, but what's happened? We've got all these tasks and we've added more tasks and now we just fill every nook and cranny that's left with a relationship with God. That's what naturally, that's what we do. That's just how we think. But the scriptures will tell us to flip that on its head. We start at the fundamental beginning of a relationship with God. And from that place, having enjoying that salvation that we have, we obey Christ. We fulfill his commands. We, we gather with the church. We fellowship. We, we learn. We study. We pray. We do all these things to the glory of God. We enjoy him. We, we honor him. And then we add the rest of our lives to it. We, we work. 
We, we enjoy time with our family. All of these things. But it began at this place of a healthy relationship with God. That is what I have in Christ. And it's precious. It's a treasure. So we, we should say, I'm not an electrician who became a Christian. I'm a Christian who glorifies God by being an electrician. I'm not a doctor who became a Christian. I'm a Christian who glorifies God by being a doctor. Because first of all, I treasure the Lord Jesus Christ above everything. Everything. Build your life into your faith. It's a wonderful text. It's a wonderful story. I think it is necessary. I think it's needed for us today because it is so easy. I know it. I'm sure you know it. It is so easy to be distracted by things that are good and to miss the thing that is better, Christ. You've been wonderfully invited into a living relationship with a living Christ that you will treasure forevermore and you will never be more satisfied than when you see him on that last day. How wonderful that will be. So establish a Christ-centered conviction. Establish the conviction that it's all about him and I treasure him above everything else. Establish the fact that I begin with my faith and I add my life into it. Everything else flows from an understanding that I live to glory, Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful call from five verses of scripture, two sisters, Martha and Mary. Martha wasn't wrong to serve. She just was so busy in the kitchen, she forgot Jesus in the other room. Why don't we pray together? God, we are so thankful for your word. We are thankful that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides to bone and marrow, even down to souls. And we pray that it would do so in us. We pray, God, that you would, you would cut to our souls, that we would long to treasure the Lord Jesus Christ above everything, above every good deed that we can do. And we pray, God, that you would lead us away from the temptation of thinking ourselves, thinking highly of ourselves for doing so much, for serving so much, for praying, for, for reading, for all sorts of things that we can do, for helping out neighbors, for loving people. Lord, would you lead us from the temptation of thinking that, that doing those things makes us a healthy Christian? And would you lead us into the truth that to be a healthy Christian is to thrive in a living relationship with the living Jesus Christ? God, thank you so much for our salvation. Thank you that you would send your son to suffer for sinners like us. Undeserving, radically undeserving, and yet loved. We thank you, Lord, we want to love you. Uh, we want to love you more, more than we did yesterday and more than we do today, tomorrow. I pray this in the name of Jesus, amen.